developing your international business, one thing is often forgotten, cultural differences. The Culture Matters International Business Podcast does exactly that. Focus on international business and cultural differences. Chris and Peter guide you through the maze of business and cultural differences in every podcast episode. Get the global perspective here at the Culture Matters International Business Podcast. Good afternoon or good morning or good evening. I never know why I never can have a decent sequence when it comes to this. You're listening to the Culture Matters Podcast on International Business. My name is Chris Smith. And And I'm Peter van der Lende. And this is Culture Matters episode number 149. If you haven't subscribed, you can do so now on iTunes, Spotify. You can also go to culturematters.com. Yep. Oh, Stitcher. You can also uh, you can also find us on Stitcher and on different other platforms as well. Anyways, you can find yep. this podcast pretty much anywhere. What are we going to talk about today? Today we're going to talk. To, we are going to talk about how to work internationally with virtual teams. Um, we all know that in general, virtual teams were on the rise. You know, people were working much more uh, at home than they did ten years ago, if you want, and um, the the internationality, if you want, of of uh, people working abroad and and doing meetings over different different platforms, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, was on the rise already. Now, for those of you who are listening in the future, the recording date today is January 2021, the 20th of January 2021. And um, of course, what we all know is that this current corona pandemic at this current moment where we're still in the middle of has accelerated this whole working with virtual teams, um, if that makes if that makes any sense. Now, there's some. Um, I'd like to continue with that and 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 give you some statistics. And this these are uh, this comes from a website called financeonline.com, and um, it's uh, and it's if you Google that uh, financeonline.com and then statistics on virtual uh, teams, uh, then you will find that you will find the link as well in the show notes of this podcast that you can find at culturematters.com. So here are, there's a whole list of them. I'm not going to mention all of them um, here. Uh, the departments most likely to have virtual teams include HR, 63%, sales, 62%, IT, even IT, 57%, operations, 57%, and finance, 56%. Globally, 63% of all departments in an organization have, have team members who work remotely. In other words, uh, from anywhere in the world or just the, the, the comfort of their home, if you want. Um, participation in virtual teams grew by 25% between, listen up, 2010 and 2018. And this was before the corona crisis. So this whole corona thing has accelerated um, this process enormously, of course. Um, some some benefits what I'd like to t- give you as well here. Bits, the biggest benefit to virtual teams include the global perspective is 81%. Diversity, uh, well, if you work globally, then you will find diversity or slash culture and, and cultural differences. 72% creativity, 54% access to talent anywhere, talent that you cannot find at home and you can't find abroad. 53% cost effectiveness, 32%, and even productivity, 31%. Now, there's more, of course, to, um, to to do and, and to say about this if you want, um, but and there are some downsides as well. But in general, what's, um, uh, this is a publication that comes from um, The Economist, and um, 
they say that one of the downsides, well, one of the upsides is people tend to work longer or longer hours, right? Um, and yeah. uh, one of the downsides seems to be that, uh, indeed, they don't get paid for that as well. And a boss, for instance, can think, oh, God, now I need to I need to uh, heighten my pr- productivity. So I'm going to increase the number of meetings, be it virtual meetings, because I have to show that I'm doing something, yeah. right? Now, what, what, what we'll talk about today are a number of these, um, uh, of, of these things. And we wanted to kick it off, or I wanted to kick it off with some statistics. And Peter, you know something about some platforms or your own experience with that? Yeah. First of all, I think when you said that there's then more meetings, right? It's an, it's a very interesting topic. It just popped up in my mind that, uh, I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about creep or, or they call it scope creep. So as soon, as soon as you start a certain initiative, then things start tends to tends to creep into a direction that you don't want. The scope is getting increased or you uh-huh. get more meetings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then it becomes again inefficient. Yeah, when it comes to platforms and what platforms you can use in terms of um in terms of virtual meetings or vir- managing virtual teams are of course nowadays numerous. Uh, actually, when we met, we were just traveling like crazy when we worked for KLM, right? We met in South America and uh, you, you went to all those countries and so did I in Latin America. Uh-huh. But all those countries also had country managers and they reported to Caracas, uh, Venezuela and Caracas, Venezuela reported to Amsterdam. So there was a, there's a virtual component there. And there was actually, uh, at the time, uh, maybe even the telex was, uh, was, uh, was one tool. But nowadays, of course, everything is with, uh, through audio and video on the computers. Uh, on computers and uh, and uh, platforms that are used most as, a, as at least the ones that I use most is Skype, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have now Microsoft Teams. Uh, we ourselves, uh, Chris and I, we're using Zoom for our webinars. Mm-hmm. Webinars. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, this uh, podcast is will also be followed by a webinar. You can subscribe at culturematters.com/webinar. Uh, but yes, yeah, so of course, uh, and you have more platforms. You have to be careful with those platforms too, by the way. We all know that if you have seen the news, I mean, there was a famous uh, legal analyst on CNN, uh, Jeffrey Tubin, who uh, was uh, exposed on uh, on this video and now no longer works for CNN. So <laughs> there are some there are some pitfalls when it comes to the platforms as well. And yeah. then, yeah, of course, when you use those platforms, there are other things, some practical things that you need to need to take care of, isn't there? Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the, for, for one thing, simply, uh, it, it should work technically, right? I mean, the technology is there, but it doesn't always work. What I, my personal experience, for, for instance, is with Microsoft Teams is that, uh, well, and this is my experience with Microsoft in general, one of the first level of, of products that they launch generally are are under quality, under par at least. And slowly but surely, uh, Microsoft gets its act together. And then, okay, if Microsoft Teams keeps on growing, then they will get their act t- together, I think. Um, yeah. Of course, uh, it's it's indeed important. And this is something that pops up in my mind when you talk about uh, using technology and using platforms like, like this when we're recording Zoom. By the way, uh, you see my headphones if you're watching this on YouTube um, as well, and uh, because I'm doing this remotely as well. So we're, we're recording this remote. The podcast is being recorded remotely, at least from my side. You're at home in Atlanta, Georgia, but I am in uh, another country at this moment. So I had an experience, and this is a bit of a story. Um, this was with uh, the Japanese car maker Toyota and a Dutch company that um, – 
that makes uh, or made or makes automatic transmission or gearboxes if you want and they were having and this is years ago already and and so it was in its infancy still this virtual meetings etc so they had these video meetings and the yeah. dutch being the dutch uh, were the dutch as the dutch are the dutch Right, so the Dutch, they were like joking with each other and they were laughing and the Japanese on the other hand, and this was with video, the Japanese on the other hand had the idea, were thinking about uh, or thought that they were being laughed at, that they were being taken for granted. So that that disrupted the relationships significantly because the Dutch had no idea what was going on in terms of, yeah. no, we're, we're not laughing at you. No, we're laughing just because we make fun during meetings that you guys don't do that. That's not my problem. Yeah. Well, it, it comes back to illustrating again how important it is to be culturally competent if you're working with virtual teams. Why? Because you cannot, you're missing a component, a clear component, which is not even a cultural component, but you miss, you're missing the component of, of uh, we'll mention it a few times during this podcast, where you're missing the component of touch, if you want. If I if I'm with you in a me in, in one room, I get a better feeling of how you how you take this conversation than when I'm looking you looking at you at, at this moment. I'm talking to you, Peter, um, uh, with this fake background, by the way, as well. Um, and so, yeah. where are you? So, and it's 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 we're missing this and this this issue of well, I call it touch or or proximity, if you want. All right. Yeah, so the culture of competence, and, and in fact, you can uh, con contact us at culturematters.com when it comes to that. Uh, it also has to do with stereotypes, doesn't it? It does have to do with stereotypes. And, but, but before I talk about stereotypes, I want to give a few other uh, tips that I have been asking around to, uh, yeah, with some okay. people. It's like, how, how do you, what, what is important to you? How do you run vir your virtual yeah. meetings? For instance, um, I got some tips here. Uh, if you have day-long meetings or if you have a daily contact, um, make sure that you you have uh, open coffee breaks. In other words, um, I can just put my headphones down, make myself a coffee, and you can continue on with the rest of the team if you want. Um, another idea which I enjoyed, which I liked as well, was to have a virtual drink, typically on a Friday uh, not having the, the, the Friday afternoon drink that you physically would have in certain countries during at the, at this recording date, uh, bars and restaurants are closed, typically in Europe, um, not in the US yet. So we cannot even get together. We cannot even go to a bar. So the only way that we can do this is in a virtual way. So I have my glass here and I have my glass of water. And um, then it's like, cheers, Peter. Uh, happy Friday. Um, things, things like that, right? Um, Make sure that if you do a meeting, that you open the platform about 30 minutes beforehand. And um, if it's okay, then, and of course, it depends on the organization. Keep the platform open at least an hour afterwards if people are, if people are willing and wanting to talk to each other. Um, also... Um, Create so-called breakout rooms. Certain platforms offer the option of having a breakout room and then say you and I go, can go to a, uh, a breakout room and you call the breakout room cafeteria. And it's just, Peter, I just want to talk to you for a second. Uh, can we just do step aside and, and we go, we go to this breakout room virtually, of course. And, um, and we chat about whatever, of course. Um, and this is, this is an interesting one. And, and, and typically when it's, in, when it comes international, usually, and this is also my personal experience, is the, the lingua franca will be English. 
but that might not be the native ling language of all people being present. So if there is someone within the, that meeting or that organization that can can act as a so-called um, linguistical link pin, and what I mean with that is somebody, uh, say you're having a meeting um, with a, a, a Dutchman, a Russian, and an American, and the, the common language is English. If you have someone who speaks Russian and also speaks English, then that's, that's of course, helpful with certain crucial um, topics or words or, or, or themes, if you want, for this person to be able to translate that into the local local language. Because yeah. usually it means more than, I mean, it's, it's more than words, right? That's not translation, it's also interpretation, yes. It's also interpretation, yes, good point. All right, so um, moving on, and indeed, you, you mentioned this word stereotypes, and that's an interesting thing in a way. Um, if you, you're in the States right now, well, you are in the States right now, you live there. Um, yeah. Give me some, some stereotypes that maybe, that maybe you not have, or maybe you do have, but in general that people have about Americans. So give me some stereotypes about Americans. Well, it's, 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 it's the stereotypes, of course, like that they're opportunistic and they're, they're, they're loud and, and, and they know very little about the rest of the world, for example. Those are the very typical things of Americans. And when it comes to stereotypes, really, I, I think, and we t t talked about this uh, just an hour ago or so, um, to a certain extent, stereotypes are coming from something that is also true in a way, but it's also very dangerous, right? Because you, you might mm -hmm. come in with a mindset and say, think that this is the way it is. So that's the way you're going to behave. And again, uh, if, if, if you are, uh, as a listener, uh, have to deal with this uh, and you're stumbling across these stereotypes in your teams, again, you can uh, contact us on culturematters.com. Uh, but yes, th those stereotypes exist. And in fact, uh, you, you asked me also an hour ago, do, did I, do I have stereotypes or did I have stereotypes when I did my travels? Because I worked in uh, eight or nine countries mm -hmm. before I came to the United States. And I told you like, well, I didn't have many stereotypes about Latin America. But then I, it occurred to me that I did have stereotype for Hungary. I went to Hungary when I was uh, fairly young, when I just finished my studies at the university. Which was the first country you went to, uh, I mean, coming out of the Netherlands. Coming out of the Netherlands first country. So a friend of mine was already there, uh -huh. uh, Roland. And he, he said, I'm working here for a big company, Unilever. Uh, why don't you come and visit me? And my first thought was the East Bloc, uh, <laughs> Eastern Europe. That cannot be fun. I mean, uh -huh. do I have to stand in line for my sandwich or what's going on? I mean, of course, that was a stereotype injected to me and a lot of Dutch people, especially uh -huh. because of maybe you recall this in the 80s when when all these uh, horrible stories came out of Poland, especially when people were standing in line because there was scarcity and things like that. So, yes, I suffered from that, too. And another one I, I mentioned is that I didn't have many uh, stereotypes for Latin America. But why, when I was working in Caracas, Venezuela, on the, on the, it was the regional office for Latin America, mm -hmm. there was a visitor from headquarters. And he asked the IT, an IT manager in that office, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm an IT manager and I'm going to uh, provide all these countries in Latin America with computers and they get email and they get all sorts of stuff to, to communicate better and do their work better. And he said, why? Well, he said, just what I just said, so people can be more efficient in their jobs. He said, I wouldn't do that if I were you because you cannot drive a Ferrari in the desert. And mm -hmm. I think that's a typical stereo, st stereotypical thing to say because, of course, uh, the communication was en enhanced. Of course, the jobs were enhanced. Uh, it's just it was a stereotype that he was uh, he was mentioning. 
Um, I, I think when, when you talk about stereotypes also, maybe this is a good way into, I think, what we would like to address most in this podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, right, Chris, is, is that when it comes to virtual teams, uh, there are the cultural dimensions are at play. Yeah. And we don't want to go over all these dimensions here. It takes too long. In fact, uh, again, uh, you can uh, you can check those uh, on uh, on Culture Matters. In fact, you can uh, even ch- uh, buy the cheat sheet there on culturematters.com slash shop. Um, but we want to focus as much as possible on the component of hierarchy yeah. when it comes to virtual teams, don't we? Yes. Well, because the reason is indeed, like you said, Peter, we're not going to cover all four dimensions because that's that for one that would not make sense. So we picked out one and we talked about we're going to talk about hierarchy for for a little while here. Um, and um, as far as I understand, as far as far as my experience in in working with different com- companies and 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 giving cultural uh, workshops and and seminars, etc., things like that, is that hierarchy plays an, a very important role when it comes to cultural dip- differences, and typically also when it comes to virtual teams. And again, I'm underlining again the uh, even even stronger or, or or more importance of being culturally competent when you're working virtually. Why? Because again, you're missing this factor of touch. Okay, getting back of uh back getting back to hierarchy as a cultural dimension of the four dimensions that uh, I tend to use hierarchy, individualism, goal orientation, and predictability. Those are the four. And like uh, Peter said already, um I'll give you a couple of examples here. But talk about hierarchy. So some some criteria, some characteristics of hierarchy. So we have low hierarchy and high hierarchy. Okay. So countries, certain countries score low, and certain countries score high. So a characteristic of a low-scoring country is uh, independence, and a characteristic of a high-scoring country is dependence. But then my question to you, Peter, on whom are people dependent in high-scoring high-scoring countries when it comes to hierarchy? Well, of course, in, in high-scoring countries on a hierarchy, there are, you have uh, different levels in an organization. And what tends to happen then is that lower levels depend on the higher level. level. Or, uh-huh. in other words, the employee is waiting or depending on the boss and telling them what to do. Exactly. So so people are are dependent on whether the boss actually gives them the right assignment and whether the boss keeps inspecting yeah. as well what's going on. Okay, back to low hierarchy. Um, every country in the world has a form of hierarchy, even the low or lowest scoring countries. But sure. in those lower scoring countries, you should have a good reason for hierarchy. In other words, you cannot just inter- interject a management layer because people will not, not accept that. On the other hand, in the lower scoring countries, I'll give you a few examples in a moment. Uh, in the lower, lower scoring countries, if a police officer asks, pull, asks you in your car, pulls you over and asks you for your driver's license, you will give that driver's license. Why? Because otherwise people understand as well. If we, if we go against that, then our world will turn into a chaos. So there is a good reason for hierarchy. In higher scoring countries, hierarchy is just there. It is, it's, it's, it's a God-given fact that it's, it's, it's an existential fact that hierarchy is there. Low-scoring countries have more of a concept in terms of what goes for you goes for me. So you're the boss, but you're not any more, any better. You just do something different. That is, but you're not high, higher or more than I am. 
On the other hand, strong, high-scoring countries have so-called special treatments. And again, to you, Peter, uh, who who do you think gets a special treat? Uh, who gets special treatment? The secretary or the boss of the secretary? Yeah, well, that's uh, of course very clear as well. And uh, during my travels, and I worked a lot in Latin America, and, and to a certain extent in the United States, that's true as well. Although I think you 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 mentioned that's more related to status, but. Of course, uh, who gets the special treatment is uh, the boss who gets the corner office, who gets uh, potentially uh, a bigger car from the company, who gets the best parking spot, who et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the special treatment is uh, on the upper level. Yep. Okay. Good point, indeed. So the, 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 and if you want to do it, if you, the academic word for this would be the power holder gets the special treatment. Yeah. Okay. Last, last point in terms of comparison, uh, low scoring and high scoring is low scoring countries have a so-called open door policy that could literally be an open door policy. Like, okay, the door is always open. So you can just walk in. Or in other words, the boss is, is, uh, if you look at, at the functional hierarchy, um, is approachable. You can you can go to your boss. That's fine. On the other hand, on the high-scoring countries, there are so-called gatekeepers, generally in organizations in the form of secretaries, and you have to get past the secretary in order to get to the boss. And the more difficult it is to get past the secretary, the more status, if you want, that boss can derive from being un, unreachable. If that makes if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, Okay, so some examples of, of um, uh, low-scoring countries. Give me a country. Give me uh, just give me a few countries, Peter, and I'll I'll give you the score on hierarchy. Uh, let's start with uh, with the Netherlands. Okay, the Netherlands. Um, the Netherlands have a score of thirty-four, and yeah. you would you would consider that being relatively low. Another country, uh, Russia. Russia. Oh my goodness, um, Russia. <laughs> well, do you think it's high or low? I think it's uh, relatively high. It's relatively high. It's, it has here. It has a score of ninety on the cheat sheet list yes. here. Score of that's 90. very high, right? That is very high. It's not the highest. The highest scoring country is Malaysia with a score of ninety nine, even. Yeah, um, and, and of course, Latin American countries are high, right? El Salvador sixty nine, um, Ecuador seventy five, Colombia sixty nine, um, Argentina fifty one. Not that high. Um, and the U.S., you have to maybe put of course the, US the United there. States thirty nine. Yeah, so com- compared to low. indeed to Latin Latin American countries, the United States is relatively low. In other yes. words, you could say that all Anglo Saxon countries are scoring relatively low, and um, Scandinavian countries, including the Netherlands, score low as well. Um, yeah. And then if you go further south, say Belgium, France. Uh, looking at Europe here, uh, Spain and and Italy, they all relatively score uh, higher. And what do I mean with relatively higher? Is anything more than ten points difference is something that's that's significant. In other words, that's something that you will experience, something yeah. that you will feel in your gut, and something that you will experience in in um, in reality as well. So yeah. um, I want to keep it at this in terms of. Um, oh, one more question, Japan. What do you think Japan does? Oh, I think Japan, uh, I, I would think that is uh, high. It's high-ish. Um, yeah. 
And Japan has its own cultural makeup. It has a score of 55. And for most people, it's like, well, that's really low. But um, Japan is, has such a, a unique cultural makeup that it um, deserves a culture cluster, if you want, of its own. Certain, say, say Latin American countries uh, can form their own uh, cluster, like a lot of Asian countries can form their own cluster. But Japan, you cannot put Japan in any country, in any cluster, really, because its its cultural profile is so significantly Unique. different, yeah. it's, it's so significantly different indeed from others. And again, if you're interested in um, in, in getting your hands on this list here, you go to culturematters.com/shop, and you will find it there under the category of uh, list. Yeah. Uh, all right. So what what I, I think when you talk about um, so, so now we we set the stage a little bit about hierarchy, and of course the mm-hmm. the, the topic is virtual teams. So when we, when we, so now we have to connect the two, right? So why yes. is it so important to talk about hierarchy and virtual teams? And I can, I can, uh, again, start with an, with an example on mm-hmm. when, the, when I was working in Mexico, uh, where, and I came as a Dutch country manager in Mexico and I replaced a Mexican country manager. And, she, and, uh, she insisted that the, the people in sales, should drive from their house to the office every day to report before they would go out to potential customers, uh-huh. travel agencies, companies, etc. You uh-huh. want to travel with KLM and Northwest. Uh, we would like to make a deal with you. So that's a sales call. So they and Mexico City traffic can be heavy. So sometimes these guys they would try, uh, drive for two hours to get from their house uh-huh. to the office. Report to the office and then drive back to close to where their house is because they're going to visit a travel agency there. And of course, that's a hierarchy. So they virtually say so they didn't believe in virtual, you know, I will call in and or do, let alone a video call, of course, but I will mm-hmm. call into the office and say, listen, uh, I'm on my way to my first client. No, you need to report here. Yep. Uh, so that, that is, of course, impacting how can you work in virtual teams in Latin America, for example, is difficult. Because uh, because of the component or the dimension of hierarchy, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. It's um, uh, typically uh, it's it's a typical characteristic of countries that score high. In other words, um, the boss, if he doesn't see you, then then you're not working. That's I mean, you have to be in the you have to be in the office in certain countries. I mean, typically now with this whole Corona crisis, people are uh, currently in Germany. Our people are are it's mandatory to work from home. I mean, yeah. not everybody can do that, of course, but it's mandatory um, w- to work from home. Another aspect of hierarchy, for instance, where you, which comes back and which 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 is really intangible as well in a way, is um, say you're giving a, a, an assignment to um, somebody from China, from 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 India. Um, and you ask this person and you're in a meeting like like we are right now, can you get this done in two weeks' time? And then the Indian will say, yes. And you think to yourself, but no, I don't think you can do that. But the Indian will not say that to you. Why not? It could be loss of face, which is a different dimension. But it's also, if, if I'm the... If I'm the boss, uh, or if I am the, the 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 customer, if you want, then the Indian will say yes to everything, even if he very well knows that he cannot do it. So, and and if 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 you're physically present there somewhere, then of course it's a lot easier to keep your fingers on the on the on the topic, if you want. Uh, and hierarchy yeah. plays a role there as well. Um, 
Do you have any other examples, potentially? Well, the, I, I was just, I was just, of course, the, the, what you just mentioned in, uh, regarding India, that was also the case in Mexico. Actually, we had a conversation earlier as well, how different it can be within Latin America, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the Caribbean countries, for example, of Latin America, very different than from the Central American uh, countries or the, or, or Mexico, if you will. Uh, but also in Mexico, I, 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 I had that same, uh, feeling then if you ask, uh, a Mexican, can you help me with something? Can you do this job? Uh, then the answer is always yes, right? And uh, it mm-hmm. will never be, it will never be like a Dutchman say no or Dutchman can <laughs> say, well, maybe, but not in two weeks. I can do it in a month or so, right? That, that's a, t- could be a typical response yeah. from, from a Dutchman. I think when you mentioned, you, you mentioned yeah, it's not in your fingers, you're not there. I think that's a very com- important component of this conversation because mm-hmm. it goes back to how do you manage virtual teams when there is uh, a, a strong hierarchy? And can it be done? It, it, is it possible to manage virtual teams? And I think managing virtual teams when it comes to hierarchy, it is actually a, even a step up. From uh, from not managing virtual teams in terms of being cultural competent. Absolutely. Because if you if you you visit a country on vacation and you think you have an idea, well, it's just I call it the revolving door. You go mm-hmm. in, you look a little bit, and you go out. The same thing is true if you visit as a manager to a foreign office. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still it's still a revolving door. You step in, you haven't you have an idea. but you can sit down with these people for an hour or two hours or maybe two days before true. you fly back. So you get a little bit of a feeling. You can talk to the person from India and say, can you really do this? And eventually, after two days, you come to the conclusion that it's not possible to do it within two days to do the job or two weeks or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But on a virtual meeting, you're just looking at a camera. You have only one hour or two hours, and you're not culture competent, so you don't know really what you're doing. The person says yes, but the answer might be no, and then you click on uh, meeting over, and that's it. So yep. for a for a virtual uh, managing virtual teams, you have to be even more cultural competent to understand the other culture, but especially understand your own culture as well, right? Indeed, yes, absolutely. And then, and then circling back to the beginning when we talked about stereotypes, as well. I mean, the the, the point is, of course, as well, um, if you can visit a country and you you will find that some of your stereotypes are true, and you will find that yeah. certain things are not certain of your stereotypes are not true. You will bump into th- situations that you, you really don't understand, but at least you're physically present there. And that is a lot, a lot easier to, to get a, a feel and a touch of it. And if you do it, if you have to do it virtually, then you, you don't have that. Because when I have my meetings with, with my clients in other countries, I see them uh, with the Golden Gate Bridge behind them. I have yeah. no idea where they are. Yeah. Yes. So these things, and, and hence it, it makes, it really makes good sense to, um, indeed, like yeah. you said, to, to become culturally competent, typically when you're working with virtual teams here. Um, yeah. I want to point out another thing. We mentioned it in the beginning. You mentioned it in the beginning as well. On February 2, we are doing February, February 2nd. We are doing a, a webinar on the same topic where um, we will present a certain slides as well, and we will do a Q&A answer uh, and uh, question and answer session um, after the webinar. And you can register for that webinar. It's a free webinar. You can go to culturematters.com slash webinar, and there you will find a link to uh, sign up to this Zoom meeting where you can join us on February 2nd, 2021. Do you have anything else to add, Peter? 
No, I think uh, I, I think what the what, what I uh, what I would like to close with, at least from my side, is that uh, when people say, "Well, what, what what's the message?" Then I think the message is that you can work in virtual teams, mm-hmm. regardless of uh, the countries or the nationalities that you have to deal with. But be mindful of all these differences, mm-hmm. and uh, you have to be cultural competent to make that. A, to make sure that it really works because uh, to have a virtual team managing from the Netherlands to Mexico is more difficult than potentially doing it from the Netherlands to uh, the UK, for example, or you can, you can come up with all sorts of other examples. But I think that's kind of the, uh, the thing that I want to say is, yes, it is possible. You can do, you can do it. Just be mindful of what we discussed uh, over the last uh, 30 minutes. Indeed. And if this makes sense for you and you would like to know more, then of course you can go to the webinar. That's one thing. Uh, you can go to the shop. That's the other thing and, and, and get to, get that list. By the way, uh, uh, these webinars will be available online as well in the same shop. Um, in, in the future, towards the future as well. And if you want to talk personally with us, you can do that as well. Simply drop us a mail or, um, uh, or pick up the phone and call. That's what some people do or use WhatsApp or whatever kind of platform you want to use. Culture Matters. That's it for number 149, How to Work with International Virtual Teams. Peter, thank you very much for your cooperation. Um, And uh, we'll see each other soon. But we'll see the audience um, in two weeks' time. Take care. Oh, that's one thing I wanted to mention as well. Um, The next topic, by the way, uh, for the next article, the next podcast, and the next webinar, will be Doing Business with India. So stay tuned for that. You take care. Bye-bye. Overlooking cultural differences when you're developing your business internationally can be the biggest mistake you can make. Let Chris and Peter help you avoid those mistakes. Get in touch now. Go to culturematters.com.